All right. This is episode, I think it's officially 31. I've shot a couple of them out of order, but this is officially episode 31 of Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. Uh, I am Jay Stone, as always. And today, coming to us from Belgrade, Serbia, is uh, somebody that some of you might know from his time in the Blackheart Procession, uh, maybe from Three Mile Pilot. Uh, he's got an awesome new project called The Red Step. Um, who just have a, put out their new, their debut self-titled full length, I think officially last week, ladies and gentlemen, Tobias Nathaniel. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I wish I had like a round of applause. <laughs> the canned applause. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this, I'm used forward. to doing sort of uh, prior to, to COVID, I did mostly phone interviews and, and uh, would turn them into written articles and stuff. So this has been, it makes me feel like a talk show host this way. So, right. but then I always feel like I want to have like a laugh track or a, an applause button. <laughs> sure, not impossible for future. Uh, no, I, re I really should. Yeah, I really should. Um, like I was saying before I hit record, I was hoping we could talk a little bit later on about your personal journey because I find it uh, compelling. But let's start with the new album. It's uh, officially out as of last week, right? I think there were conflicting dates for a little bit, but it's officially out as of last Friday, correct? That's correct. Yeah, it was uh, February 26th, which was delayed from uh, December 11th. And I think before that, <laughs> delayed before that, and it all had to do with vinyl manufacturing due to sort of COVID-related uh, issues. So yeah, officially out um, as of the 26th of February. And it's out in all of the normal uh, channels and it's out on a really, it's a really cool looking marble vinyl album for people that haven't seen it yet. I'll put links in the description below, uh, but it's a really cool looking album. Like I, it's, you did a great job. <laughs> well, we have my wife to thank, uh, to thank for that. She's an amazing designer and uh, she really like came through. I mean, we talked about the concept of the album, what it meant, uh, and she really was able to nail it, um, you know, uh, visually. And um, yeah, I, I also agree. I think it's killer looking. Props to the wives. This is two episodes in a row now where somebody from a band, their wife is like the the creative mind uh, or the artistic director essentially behind the band. And uh, there's a band from over here, a new band called Space Cadet. And one of their guys, uh, his wife has done all three of their music videos and she did all the artwork and the vinyl and stuff. So props to the wives, by the way. <laughs> right. And yeah, likewise, similarly. Yeah, she, um, Mariana Marcoska is her name. She's also done all the videos. So anything to do with the visuals, um, that, that's her department. And, and early on, uh, as I was sort of learning this new uh, skill of uh, singing and writing lyrics, which was, this was the first time for me, she yeah, was really yeah. super helpful. Um, in, in the beginning, you know, kind of uh, she helped co-write the first uh, few songs and uh, kind of helped get me over this step because it's a tough, tough thing if you've never done it before. It helped yeah. me get the training wheels off, so to speak. Yeah, I was going to say this is for those for folks who might know you from your previous projects. This is different. This is uh, you take on a much different role in this one. And the sound is different and the look is different. And so how did. It's, I know it's been sort of a long time coming, the Red Step officially forming, whatever, five or six years ago now. But now that the album is officially out, even though you've been in the game for a long time, does it still feel like this cool thing that now you have this new project that's out? Does it still feel the same as it did maybe 20, 25 years ago? Always, I think. Yeah. It's, it's always exciting to release something. And um, yeah, especially for this project to finally come out. Um, I'm just super grateful that we're able to to make it happen and Ken from Prob the Records, awesome, awesome guy. And 
uh, yeah, we're super excited about it and, and um, just, yeah, great to have it out there. And again, great, like the artwork I think is incredible. So great to have a, you know, a final, a final thing. And I want to say product, you know, final thing <laughs> that's there that you're right. getting a tangible thing that uh, is the result of all that effort. How much, how long ago did you actually start recording uh, the songs that became uh, the Red Step album? Uh, recording wise, I think that was probably, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. It just took a while. I'm a fan of like slow and steady. Yeah. And again, with the, some of the challenges we had here and of my own with, with uh, getting comfortable with my voice and uh, finding like the direction. Um, and I just wanted it to be, uh, be the best it could be and however long it took it would take. And, and that's just sort of what ended up happening by the time we had enough songs together and um, you know, the ability to record them how we wanted and to perform how it should be and, and everything. So can we talk how, about how the project uh, got about? For those, again, that don't know, you're uh, in Belgrade now. And my, I apologize, my knowledge of Belgrade, uh, particularly the arts and music of Belgrade, essentially comes down to like, I don't know if you know Franz from the band The Hold Steady, uh, but he wrote a book a number a couple of years ago. He became a solo musician um, along with being in The Hold Steady. And he did a couple of solo tours where he just took a train essentially around Russia and Eastern Europe. And so, it, and then he made a book out of it, which was fascinating. It's it's a little bit microscopic in the details sometimes, but he talks uh, for a few pages about Serbia in general and Belgrade in particular. That's essentially my knowledge of the music scene in Belgrade. So, so let's start at the beginning as to how you ended up going from San Diego to uh, Serbia. Right. Well, you've got more knowledge than most. <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, I've, I've gone through all of these, you know, sort of canned pre-prepared jokey stuff about vampires and yeah. and the Yugo car and brutalist architecture. But um, and though those things are here, uh, the real reason is my wife is from here and uh, I came out here to visit and just ended up staying. And that's what that's what brought me here. Did you guys meet in California or virtually or in Europe or? Yeah, we, we, we met in San Diego. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then and she- was going well and then she came back here and then and then flew back to, uh, to San Diego and we did a little road trip. And then um, I had just sort of, um, I had moved back to uh, San Diego from Eugene where I was going to school. And I just sort of had no responsibilities, hadn't found a job. And it was like, this is something that could be really interesting. and. Yes, ended up staying. Uh, so did you really just go for a visit and then not leave? I mean, was it that yeah. sort of, that's a, yeah. that's insane. <laughs> I, it, was a, it was a weird journey. I lived in Portland, Oregon for 12 years. Uh, moved to Eugene, got rid of a whole bunch of my stuff, like, you know, material possessions. Uh, and then the same thing happened when I moved to San Diego. I just basically pared down, like really like stripped back all of the things I'd sort of acquired over the years. And so I didn't really have much. Um, stuff anymore so yeah. that made it a little bit easier i had like a little tiny storage unit with some leftover stuff and when i decided to stay here i had um some friends go raid it <laughs> of the things <laughs> they wanted to save me a few key items that i'm uh, eventually brought back here so. so did that include musical gear as well like did you even pare down all of your uh musical gear from over the years or uh, yeah with that stuff i had basically like a, a home like a home studio type of stuff uh DAW digital audio workstation with a bunch of stuff. And I just kind of gave that to my friends or had certain things sold. 
if they could sell it and split the money. I think Paul from Blackheart sold some handful of things that he was able on eBay. So yeah, literally I came here with, you know, a, a, a backpack with a, a laptop and uh, some wow. tiny, tiny ass suitcase with some clothes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's pretty liberating actually. So it's kind of start fresh from. Was there a goal then to step away from music indefinitely by moving that far and by leaving all of your stuff or essentially just to start over? Cause that seems like a big thing to give up. <laughs> yeah, no, there was never any intention of, of giving okay. up music. Um, it, it was just time to, to remove some of the excess baggage of stuff and kind of start over. And um, of course I had some, um, I, had a, 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 I have a very special guitar um, that uh, was with, with my friend in San Diego that I eventually brought back here. And um, I don't know if you're curious about the story of that guitar. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love, right. I love weird gear stuff. This is, yeah, and this is something I don't think I've talked about yet. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad it came up. So uh, when I was in high school, um, I had joined this uh, jazz band. My school, Mission Bay High, uh, was one of the last schools that had this music and art curriculum left. Even in you know, the late 80s, early 90s, those things were just being cut relentlessly. Yeah. Right. And um, they were one of the few places left to have this uh, jazz program. And um, so I ended up meeting some, I was doing metal guitar at the time and I, you know, met some people and they're like, you should join this jazz uh, band. And in order to do that, you had to, um, uh, take theory classic jazz theory, as well as your instrument. And, um, at any rate, there was a, a good friend of mine, uh, Chris Pogue, who was in the grade above me, kind of my mentor. I was his mm -hmm. protege. And, uh, he also came from kind of a rock and metal background, but he had this hybrid guitar. Uh, it's an Ibanez AM 300. They only made it for one year. Really? Like 88 or 89. It was like maybe two years. It's a semi-hollow, one-piece, um, very, very strange. Yeah, um, yeah. Really thin, uh, prone to all kinds of damage. It's a very fragile thing. <laughs> At any rate, uh, he decided he was going to get into more serious jazz stuff. So he bought uh, an ES-335. Uh, yeah. And... Um, uh, I was interested in this guitar because it's just very strange uh, guitar. And, and um, so basically he went to visit his family in Arizona over like the Christmas break. And he's like, look, it just, you know, borrow it, play it, make sure it's the thing, you know, you want. And when I come back, we can figure out a price. So what ended up happening is that he died in a car accident in Arizona. Wow. And so this was uh, when I was, I was about 16 years old and I'll say it now I'm 46. So okay. a long time ago. Yeah. And he, um, I took it back to his mom's and I'm like, look at this was Chris's and like, you know, you want it back. And she's like, just keep it. Um, and that guitar, I've had it, you know, it's been through some, some changing of hands, but only with people who also knew Chris and that yeah. un under the very strict sort of arrangement that if I ever need it back to give it back to me. Yeah. 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 So, and to this day I have it, it's an awesome guitar. I always go back to it, especially for recording. Um, it just has a great, interesting uh, sound. And, and so, and also very special sentimentally. Yeah, the guitar is really interesting sounding on this album. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about. So it's interesting uh -huh. that that's where it came from. It came from half of that, okay. half of that through like a Mesa Boogie Studio 22. Okay. I forget the cab. And then, then the other sound was more of a Fender-y kind of deal with the Jaguars and, um, like uh, Mustangs and and through more more Fender things, so we kind of blended this. The, the my hands are yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sort of sort of a blend of those two sounds. It gives it the saturation through the Ibanez, and then also from the Fender a little more twang and um, 
Yeah. Is everything standard tuned? Because the what I assume is the Ibanez almost sounds baritone, either like it's tuned down uh, quite a bit or or that it's a true baritone guitar, which I'm sensing it's not. No, it's a standard and, and everything is standard tuning on, on wow. that. Yeah, not even not even like half step down anything. It's just all straight, normal, E to E. Yeah. Would you play that guitar live or is it too like... It's yeah. It, these I took it on a lot of tours with Blackheart Procession, and it's been through a lot. And I think at this at this stage, it's just staying. <laughs> <laughs> there are other options that aren't so like don't mean so much to me and don't have that special sound. So it's just going to stay in kind of you know the safety safety land. Yeah, but gonna... maybe what you're talking about with uh, with some of the like the sounding baritone. It's the way I, I phrase chords. Okay. I usually I put um, I tend not to use uh, roots. I tend to put like the fifth on top. Okay. Um, or even third, I like these voicings that don't usually have on the guitar itself, the the root on like the low E. So yeah. it kind of blends with the bass better. So the, ba the, the bass guitar is kind of the root and then it follows straight to the guitar with like the fifth or third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is that maybe from the jazz uh, theory that you had to learn or, or did that predate that? It's kind of, it's just a sound I like. And I actually okay. learned a lot playing piano uh, in, in, in Blackheart yeah. uh, live because uh, there are things you can play quietly uh, that sound really neat, but when you're, you know, Blackheart isn't a, contrary to what most people think, it's not a quiet band. Yeah, yeah. Even the, the slow and darker songs, they have a power live. Right. And the problem is when you start uh, adding too many notes or doing certain things with the left hand, because in a lot of the songs, the uh, piano left hand is the bass. Yeah. And you have to be really careful, like how you phrase those things, or it gets muddy and washy way too quick. So I think doing that for a long time kind of made me realize what's possible in a lower end and, and how like the low end works into the different ranges. Uh, I think it just a sound I ended up um, kind of digging. You started as a guitar player and then sort of took on keys and piano and things like that, correct? That's right, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I wanna say that I heard that, I listened to the Mike Watt podcast every now and then and, and uh, he's just, I've I've had the good fortune of interviewing him once or twice. He's just a phenomenal brain, but I love the fact that especially at the beginning, he kind of knew that he had you had a San Diego connection, and so he thought there was a San Diego connection. And then you told him you were in Belgrade, and it kind of blew his mind for a second. And then he went on this list of this whole spiel of all the people he knows in Serbia and the places he's played in Belgrade. I'm like, oh, oh he's an amazing dude. Yeah, yeah, and he knew Koya from Disciplina Kitchme, like amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, Definitely super like knowledgeable guy. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I want to say yeah. that came up on that podcast. And so that's kind of where I, which do you prefer though? I mean, do you consider yourself a guitar player? I know through Blackheart, you're sort of known as sitting down and playing the instruments, but which do you prefer? Uh, I prefer anything. Yeah. Uh, and, Making and we, music. <laughs> yeah. The store that I mean, at this point now I can kind of do everything. Yeah. <laughs> so whether it's drums, bass, keyboards, piano, guitar, uh, now vocals, et cetera. So uh, to me, it just, it's, it's just whatever makes, whatever suits the song, whatever the idea is and whatever makes it like, uh, at this point I'm having fun playing guitar and singing. And, and also it's more of the role than it is the actual just playing guitar. Sure. Um, and to go back a, a little bit to your earlier question. Um, yeah, I actually stopped playing guitar cause I was overloaded with theory. Oh, too, okay. much, too much fingers moving around too much stuff. And I was just like, I want to sit down at something and not know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> Like use my ear and my heart. Yeah, yeah. So is that, that how you the switch? Is that how you initially learned guitar too? Sort of by yourself before getting into jazz theory and all that. Did you learn just by feel and by ear and by playing? 
Yeah, I started as, I mean, I'm a meddler yeah. at heart. So yeah. I, st I started with um, thrash metal and like the kind of, you know, technical aspects of that, learning that through whatever magazines, tablature, just by ear. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty complicated place to jump into playing guitar, though. <laughs> to, yeah. To thrash metal. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that ain't learning three chord uh, country songs. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, so coming from that kind of technical standpoint and needing to learn, you know, the scales and arpeggios for that stuff and the, all the different techniques that go into it. And yeah, you sort of have to catch up pretty quick with all the <laughs> Right. The power chord, okay, and here's a harmony. Here, here's like a, a, a three-part harmony. Yeah, right. You got a lot uh, of scales and the modes and yeah. <laughs> yeah, that stuff, I... Mm. I mean, I guess there's a reason I never became a professional musician is because anytime the word theory got involved, mind you, my younger brother is a music teacher. And so mm -hmm. he rolls his eyes when I say things like this, but like the idea of music theory just like made me shudder. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. And again, I, I literally was like, I, I don't want, I don't want the music and that I'm making to be dictated by some like a prescribed pattern, whether it's like what your fingers are doing or what someone says is the right way to do anything. Yeah. And just to hear it, if you hear it and it's, it's what you're really feeling and it comes out and it's a genuine expression and it's not wrong. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about this project, The Red Step. And as we've talked about, uh, it's you out in front playing guitar and singing. And where did that um, decision come from to sort of take those reins uh, on yourself and not to join a band either uh, as an as a instrumentalist or whatever in Belgrade, but to actually go out in front like that. Yeah, so uh, I, in San Diego, I'd had these, um, this idea to make a new band when I moved back there with some friends and, and uh, you know, some older friends and some new people try to make, you know, check out some new projects, re rekindle old projects. And one of those ideas I had um, was that I wanted to do some uh, guitar and um, make something that was, you know, uh, again, with, with all of these, you know, decades of Blackheart, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's emotionally challenging to do that music and do it right. Because you're really like digging in and yep. uh, expressing things that are not like super easy and not always wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, a tour, it's like, okay, let me get in this horrible state, <laughs> right? Play piano, right? So, I wanted this thing that was a little more aggressive. It was, you know, I kind of had this idea. So, I had three or four kind of uh, ideas. And um, when I came here through my wife, I met um, her brother who uh, had played with Andre Williams, and uh, he's a great drummer, and uh, bassist Rudy, and uh, keyboardist Boris. They all played in the band uh, from Serbia called Kazna Zoshi. Which means uh, that's how you say that. <laughs> Kazna Zaushi. Yeah. It means punishment for the ears. Awesome. So, <laughs> awesome. So they, yeah. So we met and we just got together. And uh, I'm not a big jammer. So I'm yeah. like, well, we can get together and play. I have these ideas already. Let's see how it goes. And that's how the, the band kind of started. And at some point, we were looking for a singer. And I wanted a bit more international reach. And I, I didn't want to be instrumental. I wanted to. Um, uh, the singer so we were kind of looking around not much came about and then a friend of ours uh this guy Nikola Vrankovic from a band called Blockout that was fairly popular here in the 90s came to the practice and you know I was talking to him during the break asking about if he knows anyone who can sing sing in English and he's like why don't you do it and I was like oh yeah <laughs> I did. and this was great because I was always this you know champion of like don't box yourself in yeah 
have an identity, like, you, you know, that's like really limiting and confining. But I realized at that point, I had done that to myself in that area. So he's like, just at that practice, he's like, just go try to go sing. And I yeah. did, like, it was really like cringeworthy, but he's like, look, at, give it six months, you'll be okay. And I did, and it ended up working and it took a long time for me to understand the, like what my voice is capable of, what I want to sound like and what was real with it. And eventually it happened. Had you been writing lyrics and just assuming somebody else would sing them or so like when you went to that practice and started singing, what, were you playing just like a, a song that already existed or was this a new thing that you already had lyrics to? Ah, yeah. So, so the way I typically write is think, things sort of occur to me. I, I tend not to like touch an instrument for a while. So actually right now I've got three or four songs in my head that have been around for a while. Yeah. And I hear them pretty strongly. It's like when you hear a song on the radio and it's stuck in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got like three or four of those going on that are, that are things that kind of occurred. And I usually in, uh, in that context here, like a primary melody and some phonetics. So uh, I didn't know the words I was actually <laughs> going to create, but I already had the primary melody and sort of like the phonetic and rhythmic aspect of that. So, okay. and like okay. I mentioned earlier, my wife and I got together and, and she really helped out with like, like t taking the training wheels off of like me, you know, kind of getting the lyrics uh, in order. Did you, <clears throat> I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this question because it's popping into my head as I'm trying to say it. But uh, <laughs> once you learn your voice, does that change how you write? I mean, you might have a melody or an idea in your head and then you start to learn your voice and learn what you're capable of. So does that sort of change how you write on the back end? If that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't encountered a problem yet wherein okay. like some primary melody that I hear that's important, like that I haven't been able to manage it. Yeah. Um, so maybe it just over time, it's sort of like a, your, your, your brain makes that connection, like okay, yeah. here's what can happen. And, um, or, or it's also a matter of like, do you drop it down a couple keys? If it's too high, do you, you know, bring the song up a, a couple keys if it's, um, so you just, you can always match the song with the, you know, and, and I know what you're talking about. So you hear this whole thing and you sit down, you got the guitar and then all of a sudden the voice is like, wait a minute, something's wrong. Okay, yeah. this is in like three register, like a different register completely. Yeah. So then it's a matter of reconfiguring the music, like, you know, transposing it to fit the voice, I guess. Yeah, and maybe it's like, you know, boy, I can't do that, which is in my head, but turns out my voice can do this really well. So maybe I start to sort of craft things around what I know my voice can do, you know? Sure, or again, like if the, if the, like I usually tend, uh, the melodies I hear are super important, so I, I'll yeah. keep them. But then again, if like I, I see that it's like my voice isn't able to reach that high or if it's too low, then I'll move the music literally, like change key so that oh, okay. the voice works. Yeah, yeah. But like you're saying too, sure, like you might have an idea and, and uh, from, from like the brain to the uh, reality, <laughs> things definitely move around, so. Right. In my head, I can sing like Louis Armstrong, and then <laughs> I am not. Um, where did the sort of uh, sonic direction for the band, so that stuff came from uh, you ahead of time and sort of knowing what you wanted, or did some of that also come from being in a room with the guys? Because they've all played together before, right? So you're sort of learning them just as you're learning your new role too, right? Yeah, I think it was a very sort of fortunate um kind of grouping because the idea was already there to do something a little bit more aggressive and um they helped put that into context with you know the stuff that's again i'm not a big genre fan but like there's more garagey yeah kind of element and so yeah it, it shaped up that way with them for sure for sure and and on the record there are songs that are slow 
there there are songs that are slow but they are they're slow and plotting and they build like i'm trying to think um maybe temporary loss like the last half or something of temporary loss it's just it's slow in terms of tempo but it's big and it just keeps i feel like it just pulverizes you sort of by the end of it i i think that's a great song uh, but i it's i yeah it just kind of it's slow but it plods and it just beats and it builds and it builds and it builds and yeah it's uh it's i don't know how to explain it stylistically because i don't have those adjectives because uh, sort of like you had like I don't know what the genre is or whatever. I just know that it sounds, it's dark and it's plotting and it's awesome. And it like, it just pulverizes you. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, but not, you with that song? Oh, go ahead. Uh, but not pulverizes you like in a thrash metal kind of way. Just like, it's it sounds big and emotional and kind of at the end of it, you're like, ooh. <laughs> right, yeah, there's an interesting, couple interesting points there. So yeah, the idea behind that song, at least from my, from my side in terms of um, like arrangement, and song structure was that that song could have very easily been like a three and a half minute, like put it in this basic, you know, structure and it's over. And then I was like, yeah, fuck that. Like, yeah. let's really take the whole half, like let's make another chunk at that whole end that just destroys like the whole idea of that happening and turn it into like a um, discordant, like uh, mess at the yeah. end. Yeah. So mm-hmm. no, it works. <laughs> Right. It's. I mean, I really like. I like songs like Black Summer and Reset. The songs that are kind of like that sort of post-punk garage rock thing. Uh, but and stylistically, the end of Temporary Loss couldn't be any more different. But they but they seem to fit on that album, and so I like that it kind of it doesn't have a particular sound to it. You do both of them really well. Ah, oh, thanks. Yeah, and oh yeah, I remembered the point from before. So uh, another thing, along with being genuine, that I think is really important. I think it's like super huge disservice to yourself uh, when you're doing something like art to try to have a goal of what you want to do. I want to sound like Nick Cave. I want to sound like, yeah, yeah. like then you're not being you, you're, you're trying to be someone else. And I find that really important. Like things should come from a genuine place. You should, you know, really try to seek, find your voice and also a matter of taste. Like, so you mentioned the thrash metal thing. Well, for me, like any kind of anything close to thrash metal in the context of what this was would have been totally tasteless. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. So there's another component. Those those two things are kind of the my like bread and butter, like yeah. genuine uh, genuineness and taste. Pardon my, uh, I guess ignorance, I suppose. But uh, the other folks in the band with you are they English speakers as well? Were, were you communicating verbally or through music or like how yeah. did that re- that a re- relationship work? Yeah, they they all they all speak uh, English to varying degrees of of uh, <laughs> effectiveness. And then I you know began learning Serbian to some degree. I can speak some kind of Tarzan Serbian. So, but yeah, we you know we communicated verbally for sure. Yeah, which I, and then I, just playing too. I think a thing that some of us uh, in the states forget is that a lot of places learn English. They learn their native language and they learn English, and a lot of times they learn a third language. My mother-in-law grew up in France and is from a Russian Orthodox family. So that she grew up speaking English and Russian and French. And so that's just kind of what happens in the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, there's not this privilege American. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, uh, people, people tend to learn multiple languages in order to communicate for sure. But there is American some exceptionalism. That's what I was. Yeah. Well, <laughs> has that been interesting to watch? 
uh, over the last, because how long have you been in Serbia now? Six years, somewhere around? Five plus, yeah, a little over five, five and a half. Mm -hmm. Has has that uh, trend of American exceptionalism been interesting to watch from abroad the last four or five years? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's disappointing. And it, but it is interesting for me to see it from a different perspective. Yeah. Like not being so like uh, involved in it, but seeing it like, you can see it a little more objectively and especially being in Europe, you see the perception of others um, and, and, and kind of how others see things. And yeah, very, very uh, interesting uh, times we've had. It's strange. It's, <laughs> it's really strange. I mean, COVID certainly hasn't helped. I don't know what the COVID situation is in Serbia with lockdowns. So actually, I guess that's a good question. What is the, the COVID situation in Serbia and with lockdowns and not lockdowns and all of that? Yeah, real quick, how is it there at the moment? You're near Boston. So I'm it? in Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. our governor determined as of last Thursday that effective today, the state was essentially reopening, uh, that like indoor dining would now be unlimited, uh, that we could have concert venues and uh, like stadium, like the, the garden where the Celtics and the Bruins play could be at like up to 50% capacity. And then three weeks from now, it would be just open, open. We'd start phase four, which seems mind numbingly early. I think that it's really ill-advised. We, we in Massachusetts, uh, we're sort of at the front of the first real wave of COVID. Oddly enough, there was a biotech conference uh, in Cambridge that a lot of folks internationally and nationally came to. Uh, and that turned out to be a super spreader event. There were a couple of hundred cases that stemmed right at the beginning of March from that. And so we were kind of, we had it really bad first. It has certainly not been as bad since then. We've been through our waves, but uh, for us to be opening now is uh, mind numbingly early, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, that, that has something to do with the sort of uh, fatigue. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yep. People just, you know, take it seriously at first. And then at some point they're like, well, screw it. Well, and not yeah, everybody took it, it seriously. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because not everybody takes it seriously at first. That's why we've been doing it for a year now. Like, no, it's absurd. A full uh, calendar year as of next week. <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't understand the like, you know, resistance to this simple idea of like uh, wear a mask. Right. And, and, the, and the idea that people are like, it's my choice. It's like, well, you're not, you're not protecting yourself. You're protecting others from you spreading. Yeah, right. This is like unbelievably selfish, like individualistic, shitty attitude. That Speaking I of really American like. exceptionalism. <laughs> yeah. So at least, okay, interesting to hear the story of how it's going there. Um, yeah. Here we had uh, in the beginning when everything had just started, I think Serbia has a little over 7 million people. And uh, the worst it got we had like, we actually had three waves. There was a wave in, in like March, April uh, of last year. And I think that uh, the worst it got was around 450 infections per day. And then it went kind of down. They had incredibly strict lockdown. Yeah. Like crazy, like uh, people over 65 and not allowed out at all, except for like this one hour period at like ungodly hour of like 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Yeah. Everything shut from Friday. Uh, yeah, uh, every you had to be in by like 5 p.m. Everything shut from Friday 5 p.m. until Monday 7 a.m. Wow! So complete, like just complete utter lockdown. Like, yeah, literally. And then during the, that uh, during the second wave, like things eventually went kind of back to normal. During the second wave, um, I think the people weren't having it. 
<laughs> They're like, that's just not going to happen. And it was actually there was another sort of unrelated government um, a protest that was happening, but they wanted to reinstate this uh, these measures. And I think there were you know t- ten thousand people there. They they, yeah. they would have had to arrest. It would have just been a mess. Yeah. Whatever the case, uh, it didn't happen again. So we had this another wave in the summer, up to up to four fifty again. Wow. And then. Uh, Two months ago, we had this gnarly tsunami third wave of like up to 8,000 infected yeah. a day. Yeah. Like, so I mean, like, think of this, it was just like completely unheard of, but it's gone back down. Now it's going back up again, and they're thinking of uh, closing things again. Yeah, we had a holiday here, uh, the statehood day recently. People went oh, on okay. vacation, and now yeah. it's now the infections are going up. But we have the vaccines, Every, all of my family um, and our band has been vaccinated. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So they seem to be a little bit liberal about how they um, administer it. Because here, at least in Massachusetts, um, we obviously have the vaccines. I think only last week, uh, people that were over 65, I think they lowered the age from 75 to 65 last week. Mm-hmm. So now anybody that's over 65 or that has two comorbidities, they can get vaccinated now. I've been lucky enough to get it. I work in healthcare. Um, so I've been lucky enough to get it through my employer. Um, but other than that, it's, it's like websites crashing in order to get appointments. And if you're under 65 or in reasonably good health, you probably won't get it till May or June, I would assume. Right, right. Yeah. I, I heard about that there with the sort of scaling with like healthcare people, yeah. um, uh, educators, and then the, uh, you know, sort of age scale, yeah. um, here, here they, we have actually, we have the Chinese vaccine. We oh, have okay. the uh, Russian one. And we have, um, we just started getting Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca. Oh, okay. Uh, what we did, uh, my wife and I talked about, and actually, again, like the wife wins. Yeah, yeah right. Let's just like. As they should. Yeah. Let's get it. Like, we need to get this thing. I don't care what it is. You yeah. Know, anything's better than nothing. And so we, um, yeah, it was available to whoever. They actually sent an email. Uh, to everybody and um, asking which which um, version of the vaccine you would like or whatever. And so you just said whichever one and then they send you a text when it was available. Wow. So I guess the um, there was just enough like uh, availability. Yeah. So we had our booster shot on uh, Valentine's Day. <laughs> so the second shot, that's a you know, symbolic. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> um, how is that covered by healthcare? So this is like, I've, I think I said before, this is maybe episode 30 or 31. And oddly enough, it's the third or fourth international one. And so it's interesting to pick, uh, to learn about healthcare in other places. So um, a friend of mine named Austin Lucas has been a touring musician for 20 something years. He went to Germany to visit his girlfriend just prior to lockdown, well, 13 months ago now, and has been there since since then. But he was talking about sort of the healthcare system in Germany compared to Indiana, where he's from. And, and just like, if he gets sick, he can just go to the doctor and not, yeah. and it doesn't cost like a fortune. So it, the vaccine, is that all like, how is Serbian healthcare? I guess this inter- interview took a weird turn, but. <laughs> yeah. oh, why not? Yeah. The Serbian well, healthcare we, system, yeah. So we, yeah, here is like every other normal, you know, develop, developed. Yeah, right. <laughs> or not under whatever, like anybody can right. say that. But like healthcare is considered a right and yeah. not a privilege. So uh, we have here, um, in, in a, to give it a, a broader context, like uh, we have um, uh, 
public and private healthcare. So you can you can go uh, through the state, and everything is basically free. I'm lucky since um, my wife and I are married. I have uh, healthcare here for free. Yeah. Uh, but they also there are clinics that are uh, private that you can like Euromedic something. So if you want to pay, um, if you want to pay something and have the experience be a little faster. But again, a lot of this, uh, so not again, but a lot of the same doctors work at both. They work at the private clinics and they work in the public oh, okay. institutions. And, and um, so, uh, but yeah, healthcare is, you know, like in many places in the world here, free. And if you'd like to pay, you can um, to, to get a quicker service or something. But um, again, that's not the quality because it's the same people doing it. But the, uh, as in terms of the virus or the vaccine, yeah, totally free. And I think the government's just like, it was all run through the, you know, the state and they yeah, just yeah. set up everything at the, at the state. Um, uh, they're called Doms Drovli, like little clinics, little health dome. Yeah, yeah. So everybody, yeah, everyone went there and, and uh, you could get the vaccine and all free. And I think they just wanted to get everyone vaccinated. <laughs> it is fascinating. <laughs> to, what especially, a crazy concept. Especially to know that in, in a li- liberal bastion like Massachusetts, right, that we're even as progressive as we are, are still extraordinarily behind uh, places like Serbia. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, Serbia, you know, as part of former Yugoslavia, that was yeah. a very progressive place, especially back in the 80s. Sure. So there's, of course, still some leftovers of that. They they had their rough times after that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 60s, 70s, 80s was a really progressive place. Sure. This, this whole region and all the, you know, now separate countries that made up uh, former Yugoslavia under Tito. Yeah, yeah. Had uh, getting back to Red Step, uh, had the band been able to play out much? Had did that? I should say, while you were writing this material, has has a lot of this stuff been uh, like live show tested, or has it been kind of like written and recorded, and you're just kind of waiting to go back out now? Ah, uh, yeah, we 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 managed to play enough shows to where, <laughs> in a sense, I think it's really important because in the yeah. end, that's really what it's about is you know, kind of uh, giving this expression and connecting with an audience. So definitely, definitely uh, tried and tested as much as we we could. And um, yeah, so it's actually a funny story is that uh, we had planned to play a show and it was in like uh, end of February. I can't remember exactly when this lockdown here started, but it was like end of, I guess, March, something end of early March. Yeah. But we hadn't we hadn't gotten together for a really long time, and we decided, okay, let's let's set up a show and like work toward it. So it was actually took a few months of getting together to get back in shape. Yeah, and literally the the night uh, the night before we had just finished practice, packed our stuff, ready to you know go to the, yeah. the show tomorrow. We we got a call that the show was canceled because of COVID. So canceled yeah. by the club or by the yeah, town? Yeah, by the venue. Yeah, by by the venue. I guess based on. I think at that point it was, um, I'm not sure if it was government, like, uh, or, or it was the venues being responsible. Yeah, yeah, because we went through a lot of that flux here about, is, is it the artist that's going to cancel or the venue that's going to cancel or the right. town that's going to say, no, you can't have a show? Yeah. And, yeah, I can't remember exactly what happened. Yeah, what's the story there? Like, were, were people responsible? or So... Huh. The way that I, I was supposed to go to a show on Thursday, March 12th of last year. And uh, the person that I was going to see had played in Brooklyn the night before. And so they had played that show and they made it as far as like a rest area on the Massachusetts Turnpike. So basically halfway between Brooklyn and Boston. And 
they called the show, the artists called the show after some discussion with uh, this venue in Harvard Square. Um, it was sort of a mutual thing, but I think ultimately it was the artist who said, let's punt until September. I think most of those early like March shows were at first like punted till maybe September and then the summer rolled around and it was, well, let's try again in January and then January. And now everybody's like, we'll see you next year, basically. I'm yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, interesting. Yeah, crazy. Well, great that people are being responsible on their own. <laughs> Some, yeah. If you go down south, it like it was certainly not the case in places like Nashville and obviously Florida. Uh, that, <clears throat> I mean, they're still at six or seven thousand cases a day in Florida, and they're open up. They're open for business. So they, yeah, yeah, it's mind-boggling to me. Yeah, ag agreed, agreed. And um, yeah, we've been we've been especially careful. I just don't want any risks. Like, um, you know, we have family, elderly, and um, my wife's in the, like, you know, immunocompromised group. So we're not messing around at all. Yeah. And it just takes one person to screw the, this is right. such an interesting situation. It's like a, you know, a sort of study of, of like, you know, like who cares about what, like self-interest and yeah, right. like the interest of the, of the society. Right. It's weird. And to be going through that here, at least uh, during an election, as as hotly contested as the one we were, that sort of seemed to drive a wedge even more. Uh, totally. But because, yeah, 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 just like polarizing and making everything. <laughs> uh, <sighs> so have you been able to practice as a band since like getting vaccinated? I know it's only been a month or so, but have you been able to practice now and, and get back together? Or? We met we met uh, day before yesterday for our sort of album release get together party and, and you know listen listen to listen to records and hung out so um, yeah we we plan to start getting back together like really soon so maybe even like next week because everyone now that everyone's vaccinated um, we feel, we feel it's safe enough at this point yeah has there been talk over there about places opening up to allow shows and things like that I know you said that there might be another lockdown coming but uh bigger picture does it seem like summer might happen or because i can tell you that there are a lot of people from here sort of planning on playing shows like mid to late summer uh across the pond so yeah yeah perhaps and i even saw i know that there's a festival in macedonia called defest that um like a friend of ours puts together and i saw that a band from here a band called repetitor is playing it and i believe that's in the summer so i, I think there are plans for things to, to, to kind of be happening uh, in the summer. But again, with this, it's so hard to tell because, uh, you know, things mutate, you know, all of a sudden there's another surge or something right. happens and people, you know, and who, I mean, at least we've got the vaccine for, you know, um, beginning, at least beginning with where you are and uh, here, like a lot of people uh, are able to get it. So hopefully that plays some role, you know, factor. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's also weird to, I mean, there are some genres of music, I guess, that it seems like it's okay to go to if you're socially distanced because places have tried, like they've been doing shows at drive-in movie theaters um, or outdoors in fields. And you have like a little pod. There are some, there are some genres of music where it, that seems a little easier to pull off, but I feel like anything on the rock end of the spectrum, whatever you want to call that, that's, that's not really the place to see a band like the red step is outside at a, drive-in movie theater sitting like in a lawn chair in front of your car yeah like it takes sure. away from the experience you know it actually sounds kind of cool 
<laughs> it's a strange, yes, a strange context in which to see. But right. yeah, totally. I guess it's, I mean, we're all just going to have to take what we can get and be responsible. And, and when the time is right and, you know, enough people are inoculated and it's the right time, then I'll get back to what we were doing. And um, yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. We're just going to start practicing and getting together um, again, just basically because we're all vaccinated and we feel yeah. like it's safe enough. And um, we'll just prepare for whatever ends up happening. So if, you know, live streams, like I hadn't really thought of it before, but those are still a possibility. So just getting back in shape to be able to, you know, deliver some yeah. decent show. Are you still writing? Has has having time during quarantine or lockdown or whatever inspired you to keep writing? I know you mentioned you have some melodies and whatever in your head, but have you uh, transposed those into actual demos or anything at this point? I, I haven't. I haven't. So we'll, we'll see when we get I, I, a couple of them. I kind of put to guitar. So I know the chords. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I think it's a, I like I really like getting together and just sort of like um, at the practice, having this thing like basically half ready yeah. you know, the primary melody and, and the, some of the chords and maybe some of the structure and then seeing how everything gets filled in. Yeah. So but there's a handful of ideas, three, four or five ideas. So um, there is like half a record. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps, yeah. Depending right. on um, thanks a lot for talking. I, I try not to take up too much of people's time in the interest of uh, um, of losing of people's uh, short attention spans. But uh, so the closer I get to the hour mark, I'm like, uh, I want to make yeah. sure that like <laughs> I'm not taking too much of your evening. But uh, thanks for doing this. This, oh, this has been a been a fun conversation for me. Likewise, yeah, it's a super great. And, and I'm, um, I'm going to have to look up that particular Ibanez because I'd never heard of it before. So, yeah, they're, they're strange. AM 300. AM 300. Right. And I think it was 88. Only one year. They didn't become something else or what? It, they just made it for one year and that was it? Yeah, it was either the year or uh, one year or two years, but it was definitely yeah. 80, 89 and some crossover in there. But uh, yeah, they're very, they're very rare. And it was uh, just that one. Uh, either, yeah, either either that year and the next year, or some combination of in between. Yeah, yeah. But, um, very to, very weird. Yeah, something about a full hollow body guitar, especially playing. Oh, music, semi hollow. Semi hollow. Well, yeah, sorry, something about playing a semi hollow, even still, the the way that the guitar itself resonates. I know they're yeah. like the three thirty fives and whatever are jazz guitars. I love them, um, but something about playing uh, darker music or rock music on them that it is more difficult to pull off with a Les Paul or with a Telecaster, again, which are both guitars that I love, but something yeah. about the hollow piece and the way that it resonates. Yeah, it's, it's cool. No, it is. Yeah, it's very cool. It's, and this is a guitar, guitar edition. I've been as AM 300. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I actually use it. I had a, a metal band for a while with, uh, you know, Red Fang, the band? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the singer and bass player, uh, Aaron, uh, he and I actually... Uh, just before uh, Red Fang got started, we had a we wanted to do uh, like a thrash metal thing, and so we were running around looking at because we both have this uh, you know love for like th like serious like uh, authentic thrash metal. Yeah, so yeah. we were out looking around for guitars and stuff, and I think I probably went through five or six you know like metally appropriate guitars, <laughs> and right. in the end, it was the Ibanez semi hollow cranked up like through. It, it it worked. It didn't yeah. feed back too much. Like I was able to get the tone was killer. Yeah, that that thing is just like a beast, and it can handle anything. Put thirteen gauge flat wounds on it. It's a total jazzer. You know, 
Well, maybe that's part of what I'm hearing too, where it sounds like it's a darker guitars. If you're playing yeah. 13s on it, good lord. <laughs> oh no, 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 I mean, I mean for yeah, if you want to go straight, like serious tradition. Oh, like, oh yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. 13 flat wounds, like yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's got. I think it's got tens on it right now. Okay, that's that's more. That's more my speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for doing this again. the The album is self titled "The Red Step." Is that on Pravda Records last week? I'll put links in all the descriptions below. So I'll end up posting this on YouTube and then sort of in audio only podcast form, and I'll send the links out through everybody. But I'll make sure everybody has the links as to where they can buy the album through Pravda because it's a really cool listen. It's a fun, especially to listen to in your car up loud or on headphones oh. up loud. Like it's that kind of album. It should be loud. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a good, that's a good no, way to it. should very it's much like, be loud. Don't listen to it quiet. <laughs> don't listen to it on your laptop speakers because it's going to sound muddy and crappy. Right. Like, put mm-hmm. on headphones or put it in your car and blast it because it sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah. Great. All right, uh, Jay. Thanks so much, man. This is really fun. And, yeah, thank you. I'm going to, I'll stop recording now.